Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Ryder. I can't Ryder. hear you. Speak loud. <laughs> Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by legendary trainer and great order, Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how are you? Better than you. <laughs> Your voice. I, I apologize in advance. I lost my voice, but much like the great Joe Tessitore fighting through illness at the Crawford Con fight, I'm here ready to get it done. Well, he, he, well, he, um, at least you're not wearing a hospital bracelet. No, I ripped off the hospital bracelet. Well, we got a lot to get to today, Teddy. Let's start with the uh, Jamel Herring and uh, Ito fight a couple weeks ago. Jamel Herring's got a great backstory. Uh, former U.S. Marine, he's got six kids, suffers PTSD, really has uh, had an uphill battle for a long for a lot of his life, and uh, finally reached the pinnacle, won the world title, and um, yeah, just an inspirational story and a great uh, great fight to watch. Um, what were your thoughts on the fight itself? You know, he. He exposed Ito a little bit. He he won a world title. I mean, he did his job. He did what. First of all, he was trained for this fight by the Crawford team. That's the first thing I want to put kudos out because um, I have no problem saying if somebody does something wrong. I have no problem saying when someone does something good. And the Crawford people are they have to be right up there, if not the first, the second, or third best training unit in boxing, and I know that's a strong statement, but it, I think it's a fair statement. They are really good at what they do. They they prepare, I mean, from a technical standpoint, they do everything they're supposed to do to have Crawford always prepared, but they also always have the proper game plan, the proper fight plan. They always know exactly what the approach needs to be, and they knew exactly what the approach needed to be just like they're doing all Crawford's fights. They knew exactly what the approach needed to be. I'm really impressed with them. They're good. And they were good again. They got another world champion. Uh, listen, he's a great story. He's a great person. He's a great man. Uh, Herring. Uh, overcome what he's overcome and to serve our country and to do the things that allow us to have the privilege of doing what we do. Uh, they're the reason... When I say they, the armed service uh, men and women, uh, as Herring is a Marine, they're the reason that we have the greatest country in the world. They're the he reason. Was, he was the first active duty Marine since 1992 to fight in the Olympics for the U.S. Yeah, he um, he's the real deal. He's he's uh, he's one of the reasons why when I get down, when I see some things in this country, and I think that things are upside down sometimes, uh, he makes it uh, right side up. Uh, to see young people like that, young men like that, that have uh, the honor and dignity that he has and uh, that cares about the things he cares and conducts himself and makes the choices he makes. But in the ring, he beat a... You know, it's funny. The broadcast was talking about he was beating a one-dimensional guy, and obviously it's true. Ito's one-dimensional, and what they're talking about is, you know, all he's doing is coming at you with the jab in the right hand. I would qualify that, I would differ a little bit if I was doing a broadcast. I would have said he's half-dimensional, you know, because he doesn't even use the jab yeah. because he's throwing a range finder, three-quarter jab. So once you understand it's not real, you only got to worry about the right hand. Mm -hmm. 
and and that's what Herring, you know, that was the only thing he had to worry about. Right hands usually land against southpaws, and um, you know, he had to worry about that. But he didn't have to worry about the delivery system, the setup. You know, I always say on a broadcast that uh, the jab, you know, sets the table. The right hand you eat, and he didn't have to worry about the table being set on him because again. It wasn't one-dimensional, it was half-dimensional, you know, because we're, we're going to give you the, I think we're going to give you the x-ray version of breaking fights down on an, on the show, you know, not just say, well, yeah, it was, you know, it was, it was one-dimensional. No, it was half-dimensional. I know we're going deeper than, than sometimes you might hear, but uh, again, when you don't have to worry about the jab and you can only look for the right hand, you got half a job in front of you instead of a full job to worry about. And... That's what it was. That's why Ito started falling in with right hands because of the elusive ability, because of, you know, herring, changing range, changing distance, but also because he didn't have to jab. He wasn't using the jab properly to set the way, uh, to set the way for the right hand where he didn't have to reach in. And Ito was just, he throws that rain finder with the jab. It's not a full jab most of the time. And it was uh, allowing Herring to, you know, basically to look out for that one thing. And Herring, being a southpaw, did a good job changing range, uh, boxing, using his jab, using his southpaw jab. He seemed to keep Ito off balance the whole night. He kept moving, he kept stepping around, he kept him off balance, seemingly. No, he did. And then there came a moment, and the moments always come. Like, your moment now with no voice. Your moment, baby. <laughs> you got to step up to the plate. You still got to be there. You know? Either reasons or excuses. That's our motto here. Reasons or excuses. What is it? What's it going to be? It ain't going to be excuses. It ain't going to last long. And there was a moment in the fight, maybe around the eighth round. I don't know if my memory's serving me perfectly. But somewhere in the midway, maybe a little before that, maybe it was more like seven, six rounds, where... Ito did what he had to do. It wasn't working for him. He was being outboxed. Distance was being changed on him. Uh, Herring was doing a good job of navigating the ring. And so he had to bring the fire. He had to get inside. He had to rough him up. He had to bring the physical game. So he went to do that. And he got in close. And when he was doing that, he was having he was starting to turn the fight around a little bit. Where... Ito was starting to do what he wanted to do, stem the tide and get to him a little bit on the inside where, you know, he could use a little bit of physicality. But then came the moment. And Herring to win the fight, he was going to have to make a stand there too. And he made a stand. He fought back enough in there to the body and stood. There was a lot of grab and it wasn't the greatest fight. It, was, it got a little sloppy, but it was... The value of the fight was the story of Herring and winning a title. I thought it was fitting on Memorial Day weekend that a Marine would bring a title from Japan back to the United States. Yeah. How special is that? Oh, I mean, really, beautiful, how beautiful. So it reminds us, again, of things that sometimes we should be reminded of and be grateful for. So he goes and makes his stand on the inside. That Marine was not going to have that hill taken. 
That hill wasn't being taken from him. So he stood his ground on the inside. He fought back. Ito got the better on the inside. But Herring, the point is Herring stood his ground enough where Ito couldn't get what he needed. Couldn't get that momentum going. Couldn't get up that hill, baby. Yeah, that's and right. that's, that's what really won the fight for him because the outside was what separated him in the fight. There's no doubt, got him the lead in the fight, but being able to make that stand on the inside made sure that the fight wasn't going to be taken from him. And I thought, I got a confession here. You know, we always talk about the truth and stuff, and you've got to be doing that. Uh, I, I watched the fight with the sound off, and but I put it on in spots. Well, if you had it on, if you had the volume up, you probably would have heard a lot of your own words because at times I thought I heard you, but it was actually Tim Bradley using a lot of your uh, material. I'm surprised he didn't footnote you on some of that stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, people uh, do talk about that sometimes. Uh, maybe I could get residuals <laughs> on, on some of that stuff. But, well, I'll take but, it as a compliment. Uh, yeah, listen, they, what are the, what's that old saying that... Um, that imitation, imitation is, the, is supposed to be some kind of form of flattery. flattery. What, the thing, when I did put the sound on, I heard a spot where Andre Ward was saying, and they will do a good job, and Andre Ward was saying that Ito was, well, well actually, Bradley was saying that Herring was moving the wrong way. That he was moving, being a southpaw, uh, or that he was, well, actually, no, he was saying that Ido, the orthodox fighter, the champion, was moving the wrong way. That against the southpaw, he should have been stepping to his left and he was stepping to his right. Yeah. And from a standard, from a conventional standpoint, and from a, from a really, you know, basic standpoint, Bradley was saying the right thing because usually boxing 101, usually you want to move, if you're the orthodox fighter, you want to move to your left against the southpaw. You want your lead foot, your left foot to be outside the lead foot, the right foot of the southpaw where two things can be done. Usually people talk about only the one thing, where you can stay away from the power, the backhand, the left hand mm -hmm. of the southpaw. So you move to your left to stay away from that power. But also you're moving to your left and you're getting an angle so you get a better angle for your jab, where you can get a little advantage there. And he wasn't moving that way. So Bradley, from a conventional standpoint, what is traditional to say, he said the things that are there to say, but everything's not standard in life sometimes things change and yeah. sometimes you got to do things that are not standard sometimes you got to go away from conventional and that's what Ward was making a point of and Ward in this case was making I thought a valid point where he said no 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 the reason he's moving to his right which is supposed to be the wrong way against his outpour is because Herring is throwing a right hook and if he moved to his left, he's going to get hit with that right hook. So it's forcing him to move that way. Yep. So he's moving that way because Herring is doing something to make him move that go. way. That's exactly right. And and he was right. It was a good point. He, he, he was right. Uh, he was on a mark with that. So 
at the end of the day, Herring outmaneuvered him. Herring uh, outboxed him, uh, kept him off balance, as you said, uh, used that southpaw jab. Remind me a little bit of Michael Moore when, when I had Michael Moore when we beat Holyfield, that I understood that the jab was going to be, the southpaw jab was going to be a big part of our victory if we were going to have a victory against Holyfield because Holyfield, a good offensive fighter, could be kept off balance, could be disrupted. His rhythm could be disrupted with the jab that I found in watching yeah. tape. And obviously Crawford's people saw the same thing, that the jab, the southpaw jab would disrupt the rhythm of Ito, not let Ito really get into drive. And again, he did a, they did a terrific job. And he, uh, again, not a scintillating fight, but a scintillating story, a feel-good story, and uh, Bravo's, uh, you know, salute to the Marine that was able to bring that title back on Memorial Day to the United States. Along those lines, we were talking about conventional wisdom. We saw a friend of the show um, who we had in here recently, J-Rock. He went away from conventional wisdom and went right inside against Hurd and took the fight to him in a way that Hurd and a lot of other people didn't expect him to do it. So much like what Herring did, went away yeah, from conventional you know, wisdom. You brought that up because <clears throat> I made a note to myself. I was... Uh, I didn't know you were going to bring that up. I, I made a note just to remind myself... Uh, the over the weekend, I forget what day it was. I think it was Friday. I was channel surfing. You ever channel surf? You, know, <laughs> stuff. you have kids, so you probably can't do it. Uh, they're young, and they won't allow you to do that. The only TV I watch is fighting. It's the only you, thing I have time you for. Can't do that. You, 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 you would be uh, in trouble <laughs> if you did that. But you know, when you kids are growing up and stuff, sometimes you channel surf a little bit. And I was channel surfing. And I noticed all of a sudden there was a boxing show on. It was on one of the ESPN channels. I think it was on the Yes station, actually. And I was like, I didn't know there was a boxing you know, <laughs> show. So it was called 30, Boxing 30. Is that something like that? Um, let's see if I Yeah, it's called Boxing 30. And it had a host who I, I didn't know who he was. I'd never seen him or heard of him. Uh, but he was doing this boxing show. So I'm watching it, and they doing all the fights, kind of like what we do, you know, updating all the fights and stuff. And they got to the fight that we had just had Julian Williams, obviously, as our guest, the fight that he won the title. Great story, everything, great kid, uh, against Hurd. So I'm watching it. I said, let me watch it for a minute. And to your point, the thing that was really different in that fight was what? That Julian Williams went inside with what the perception was, was the bigger, stronger Hurd. Hurd always was on the inside. Hurd was, you know, he was the George Foreman of the of the middleweights when George Foreman was the biggest, stronger heavyweight before Ali cut him down in size. So it was surprising, and we talked about it with Williams, how Williams chose his mode of attack to be to go after him, to fight inside and outbox him, which you can outbox someone on the inside, just like you can on the outside. And to do it inside where that was supposed to be the turf, the territory of hurt. But what shocked me is I'm listening to this guy and he goes, yeah, it was very unusual. Uh, Hurt decided to fight on the inside when he usually fights on the outside. I was like, I can't watch this show. 
I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't come here today to knock other shows, but yeah. since but I, I had to make a note of it. <laughs> I can't watch it. If you're going to put a boxing show on, then you can't tell me that Heard is an outside fighter and usually <laughs> fights on the outside. You can't tell me that because I can't watch it no more. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You lose me. You know? Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, if you know, if I if I told you, if I told you that, uh, you know, that Joe Frazier was, uh, you know, was uh, Mr. Lightfeet uh, and <laughs> and used to, you know, used to be a ballet dancer before he was a fighter, smoking Joe, right? I mean, you, you'd say, Teddy, I can't listen to you. Like you just tell me Joe Frazier, you thought he was a ballet, that he was a ballet dancer and, and smoking Joe? I mean, I can't listen to you tell me anything about boxing. I, I, it really threw me, but I digress. Getting back to the, to Ito and, and Herring, it was, uh, it was something to be applauded. Again, you, you had Herring who had two losses in his career. And one of the losses was on my air on ESPN when I was broadcasting the ESPN fights. And he actually got stopped in that. And he, you know, again, it's just a great story of resiliency, of character, um, of what this show is about. People coming back, you know, baby. People coming back. And uh, we always say that we're going to use boxing to connect the dots to life. And that's exactly what Herring did. He showed what you do when you're down. Uh, you figure it out, you take a deep breath, and you come back. Yeah, he only had two losses and only been stopped once, TKO in the 10th of a 10-round fight, which... That was the fight I broadcast. Yeah, that's a tough oh, one. Oh, but one other thing before we wrap up there, he says uh, Herring has six children, and unfortunately he lost one daughter. at, at I, I think she was about two or three months old to SIDS, a uh, sudden infant death syndrome, which is like having four kids myself. I couldn't imagine anything worse to any happen to me in my life. Whether and, you have two kids, one kid, it's, any parent, any human being uh, cannot imagine the horror of losing a child. Um, but, you know... It's unimaginable he, to me. He, you know, I don't know about you, but and all people out there, but I just believe in what I believe in. I, I believe in what I believe in up there, and I think our responsibility, whatever you believe in, is to try to live a proper life by treating people properly and caring about more than just your own sphere. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, you know, things happen for a reason. I always say, and... I just don't think it's so coincidental that he won the title, Herring, on the day that his daughter would have been 10. Yep. I mean, she was with him. Yeah. Again, I'm not getting crazy here with getting too heavy with this, but I'm just saying. People who have children will relate to what you're she saying. She was with him. And, and again, coincidence, whatever, but... There's 365 days in a year. And for that day to be the day that this Marine was going to come back and fight for the world title and for it to be on the day that his daughter was gonna would have been 10, that's um there's a reason for that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. 
And and whatever the reason is, don't ask me. I don't know. All I know is that uh, we're very happy for him, and it's another lesson out there for the people just living life every day that, you know, you get knocked down, but you can get back up. Yeah, and we're all going to get knocked down at some point. I've been talking to Herring back and forth on text today. We'd love to have him on the show at some point. So if you're listening, uh, Jamel, well done. We'll be in touch and uh, keep doing what you're doing. Um, that uh, brings us to the next fight that I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to hear your take on, and that is Anthony Joshua against We have to talk Ian. about that fight? <laughs> We gotta talk about that. We don't have to do a lot of things, but this is one that we have to talk about. Um, our producer, you, were there. you, yeah, you, you and Rob, our producer, producer Rob Moore and I were there. We sat with the great Rosie Perez. We sat with literally within two or three seats of us was Clarissa Shields, Triple G, uh, Rosie Perez, and of course her superstar, rock star, artist, husband Eric Hayes, who's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. And it was just. I mean, before we get into that fight, just quickly go over some of the card because the entire, I found it, you know, if there were 10 fights, eight of them were unbelievable. Incredibly exciting for one reason or another. The crowd was electric. All um, fights are incredibly exciting for you. <laughs> that's Come true. On, I, mean, I just saw it. Out of the way. And it sounded like you must have been screaming at that fight. Is that why your voice is gone? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But I think it has to do with the traveling and... Uh, you know, for the people who don't know, I live in L.A. and come in to um, record the show with you. And I came in early to watch the fight. And I think just all the traveling and, and you know screaming what I did and yelling. Because of that fight, I wore this shirt. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a fight that's one of the greatest upsets, if not the greatest upset in the history of boxing. Yeah. It might replace Douglas and Tyson. But you know what? If you're going to go down that list, let's not forget about Oliver McCall, Lennox Lewis. People forget about that. Mm -hmm. What an upset that was. Yeah. People forget that. But this was a big upset. Yeah. <laughs> that was a big upset. Yeah. And um, figure it was only fitting to try to, you know, we're, we're getting bigger. We're, we're getting into wardrobes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I mean, we don't have anybody that supplies it. We supply all. Not yet. Right? And I guess I'm kind of showing things on the show, maybe I shouldn't be showing, that I still have 20-year-old shirts. Right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, but that's okay. Because this is about full transparency about the truth of the show, isn't it? That's right. So it's okay. <laughs> that's right. Um, some of the fights on the undercard, one in particular that was super all-action. I mean, there wasn't a dull moment in the whole fight. It was... Um, Katie Taylor against, um, what was the Belgian girl's name? Um, so you're just like the judges. Pearson. They only had one name on the card, Pearson. and Katie Taylor was getting that decision. Very you're fair. Just, very fair. Very fair. It was uh, Delphine Person, Persoon. Um, and Katie Taylor did get a lot of the pre-fight hype, but I'll tell you right now. Uh, did she win that fight, really? I, I heard she didn't, she didn't deserve it. I don't have a huge problem. I thought a draw would have been... Because I, I broadcast her fights in the Olympics. Uh, she was a big thing out of Ireland. You know? One judge had a draw. Two guys had it, 95-93, in that context, by one round. I would have loved to have seen a draw. I think Katie Taylor looked to be the, the better boxer, but Delphine Persoon 
pushed the action the entire fight. Katie got the better of her in some of the like wild exchanges. But I'll tell you, this girl came forward. Her face looked like she went through a windshield. She, they both looked, they were Ken, both bleeding. Ken, Ken, can you? Any descriptions? I mean, <laughs> I'm just Rob. Rob was there. I'm telling you, her face was a All right, we mess. got it. We got. Oh, <laughs> but wow, what a fight! I mean, you know, those two minute rounds go by so fast, and they were swinging for the fences. What a fight! So. Eh, it, I, I would have preferred a draw, but I don't think it was that egregious. I've seen much worse. Okay. Um, also on the undercard, my good friend Chris Algieri had a big win over um, Tommy Coyle, another one of... Um, He's a good kid, Chris Algieri. Oh, and, you know, oh, the best. He didn't have a big amateur background. If I no. remember correctly, I did a lot of his fights on ESPN on his way up before he got to the big fights where, you know, he... Um, and. Rightfully so, he got like anybody who runs their way in this business. He got a chance to make money, yeah. Uh, with Pacquiao and yep. a few, a few other, and uh, he had a big upset win. I think it was uh, against Provodnikov, which really catapulted him into that. Yeah, where he got the Pacquiao fight, and he, um, I think his background was in wrestling. He didn't have a big amateur background, but he he's a kid that was doing a lot of on the job learning and physically strong kid but a kid that you know looks to box uh tough kid tough Me kid. he's mentally incredibly tough because he was taking two shots to land one he kept coming forward he had coil going backwards all night coil was landing in the exchanges but man again he he algeri looked like a mess after the fight but he broke him down and uh the corner stopped it i think between the eighth and the ninth he was just Chris just kept coming forward, not hitting him with huge shots, but just peppering him to death. Every time Coyle took a deep breath, Algieri popped him every time. And again, Algieri's eyes were both swollen shut, but there was no quit in him. I mean, it was super impressive, super impressive. And then I had a beer with him after the fight across from the garden, and he, did, man, he looked rough, but in good spirits. It's a rough business. Yeah, I was I was Very. up in Bristol. Obviously, I wasn't at the fight. I was up in the studios in Bristol and ESPN studios covering the the, the main event, the yeah. Joshua Ruiz fight, which we're going to talk about. And before we get to that, I just want to say, give a shout out to um, Ray Robinson. I think he got robbed again, second time in a row. He got a draw. South four from Philly. Yeah. Right? So second time in a row, he's got a uh, draw from the B side. He fought um, Josh Kelly, huge prospect from uh, the UK. And uh, I, to me, Ray Robinson won that fight hands down. Rangy guy, long arms, uh, good boxer. Tough. Good, likes to control range, right? In the first round, I thought Josh Kelly was going to run him over. Josh Kelly's super confident, a lot of swagger, hands down, moving his head nice. But he realized probably second or third, Ray Robinson ain't going anywhere. Much like the fight he had down in Philly against a Lithuanian kid who I'm going to mispronounce his name, but... If you look it up, you'll see what I mean. He uh, he got a draw there as well. And when you get a draw from the B-side, <laughs> you probably won the fight. <coughs> but um, And then the only other fight that's worth noting is that Callum Smith ran over Endom, who just looked completely outclassed. Callum Smith... Endom, who had a middleweight <clears throat> title for five minutes, right? Yeah. And, and then he lost it to the Japanese fighter. Yeah, Cameroonian. Yeah. Um, but and I think Endom's a guy... Again... Uh, I'm just 
from from my point of view of the years in the business, and Dom's a guy that you have people looking out for him. Uh, it's time to get out. Yeah, it's, it's time to get out. I mean, it becomes a time for everybody to get yeah. out, and you know, but that time is more precarious when when you swat punches for a living. It, it, it's time to get out. I don't want to see anyone stay too long. I don't want to take anyone's right away from making a living. I get it. But for me, uh, you know, his, he, he gets hurt um, too often. Yeah. Too often. It's, it's, it's his, his ability to endure is not there. <laughs> and that's telling you something. And at that weight class, there's not a lot of room for error. Uh, Callum Smith can bang and he put it on him i mean he smashed him um so then uh and then we got the main event and one one interesting thing is as they come <clears throat> into the ring uh andy ruiz was standing there kind of looked like a donald brazil like almost like lost in the moment honestly and it was a little low in the action and this may be why i lost my voice but i yelled out to him we were close i said andy and he looked right at me and i said keep moving keep moving stay loose and he nodded so you had something to do with his win um, as far as as far as we're concerned, <laughs> you, see, I didn't know that coming into the show. This is true. This is I mean, this, this is, is huge. This is a true so story. Please go on. This is a true story. I so yelled this to Andy. Rob was sitting there. That's amazing. Okay. He he looked at me. I swear, I, I promise, I'm not making this up. I said, "Stay loose, keep moving." He looked at me, nodded, and started shadow boxing and jumping around. And so I said know, to Rob, so I said he would have froze up before the fight. Probably. I mean, you you warmed him up. Probably. If I had told Joshua the same thing, oh. instead of standing there, the one that Eddie Hearn didn't come on the show. <laughs> now I know why Eddie Hearn and Joshua—they were supposed to possibly come on the show. Now I know why they didn't come on. You if, you took their title away from them. If I could have been closer to Joshua, I would have said, "Put your mouthpiece in, get your hands off the ropes, and act like you want to be there." He looked like he was just also lost in the moment. But we'll get into that. In a second but anyway um i'm gonna turn it over to you tell me what you saw well i didn't i didn't warm up andy ruiz but you would have been telling him to, you would have been telling him to stay i loose. didn't tell him to keep moving listen i'm gonna go right to it i'm gonna use usually i like to use original stuff and my my own thoughts but i'm gonna use someone else's there's nothing wrong with that um as long as you uh credit them credit them right and i'm gonna the great, I don't use that word too easily or too lightly in this business. It shouldn't be used in anything too lightly. But the great Marvin Hagler once said that it's hard to get up and do road work at 5 in the morning when you're sleeping in silk sheets. I'm going to start right there, baby. I'm going to start right there. It was hard for Joshua maybe to do road work at 5 in the morning or maybe even 6 or maybe even 7 or maybe even 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, when you're sleeping in silk sheets. And it's even harder to overcome being hurt when you already maybe have a reason, and there should never be a reason, but maybe have a reason to not care uh, about the way you behave for a minute. And you should never have a reason for that. Um, because we live with ourselves before we live in any uh, special address on Park Avenue or anywhere else, wherever that might be in London. We live with ourselves first. And that can become a pretty desolate place if you don't behave right. And I don't think you behave right like a champion that night. But uh, I'm not in his mind. I'm not in his body. I can only do what I do on the show from my experience and do it in a way that I think is right. 
and that I believe. Uh, I will say, I will say that he, you know, the fight, you definitely can come up with the saying that you can't judge a book by his cover when you when you're talking about Ruiz now. You know, and, and I also say that we nobody saw this coming, including us. Including us. Actually, before we go on, I just want to say I, I, I owe Andy Ruiz an apology while you I don't saved them. while you I owe don't nothing. You while, saved you're the reason why he's champion of the world. While I don't think he has a great physique. It, I, I, I should not have said do sit-ups and, and talk shit about the guy because he's a professional fighter and no, he's got... He's got and, 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 and I didn't even know you did that. I, I, did, I feel bad about that. And after the fight, Rob and I j bumped into randomly a bunch of Mexicans celebrating at MSG. And I introduced myself to them and one of the guys said, you're the guy who was talking shit about Andy Ruiz. And after I said, you know what? I deserve that. You're right. But Andy... Well done. I shouldn't have said that. I learned a lesson. It's not my, it's not my place to talk look, look, shit. Nobody's going to mistake him for Arnold Schwarzenegger. Right. All right? Right. I mean, so, I mean, you know, the truth is the truth. That's right. I, I mean, but he went... I should have worded it differently. But he, look, he didn't... He, it's, it's not more important sometimes to look like a fighter. It's more important to behave like a fighter. Exactly. And, and that was really to the crux of what I'm going to talk about right here, but and to that night. But having said that nobody saw it coming, one thing I will say that we did say here was that the change of opponent was going to be actually the opposite of what most people thought, that Ruiz was going to be a tougher opponent. That's we right. did say that. Yes. We said it right here. That's right. And, and the thing that I pointed to in saying that was that at least Ruiz knew who he was, and that's important to know who you are, and Ruiz knew where he had been. And that's important. When you're going into somewhere where you haven't been yet uh, to a world title fight, you have to know that whether or not you've been close to that place and whether or not you belong in that place. You don't want to find out in the ring if I belong. And he already knew from fighting Joseph Parker, something that Miller, who lost the fight because of steroid use, Miller didn't know. Miller hadn't ever fought anybody to tell him, do I belong at this level? Do I believe that I can compete at this level? And Ruiz did by going 12 rounds and losing a majority decision to Joseph Parker, who also went 12 rounds with Joshua. Joshua beat him a unanimous decision. He showed himself, forget about the world, he showed himself that he knew he could compete at that level. That was important information to have yeah. going into that fight. That's right. Very important. And that's why I said on this air that the change in opponents from Miller to Ruiz would actually, even though you're getting a guy who's looks like the, you know, the, the what is that, the Mitchell and Tyre guy or, or uh, the Pillsbury Dole guy, right? Yeah. I mean, he didn't really, have, he we're, didn't we're not have saying good things that aren't, we're, not, no, we're, we're just saying things that are true. But, he didn't fight like that. Nope. That's what counts. No. He, he didn't fight like the Pillsbury Doughboy. That's what matters. And he, again, we said that for two reasons I said that he was a better opponent, a more stout opponent, Ruiz, of course, being he. 
One, because he had already been in there with that level of competition where he knew that he belonged, which Miller hadn't. And he always faced things on his own without steroids. See, Miller needed steroids to face things. So uh, Ruiz already showed he was up to the task because he faced things on his own. And one other thing is um, Ruiz had a deep amateur pedigree. He fought in, uh, for the Mexican national team, so he has a lot of experience. Yeah, with yeah exactly right. <clears throat> and listen, one of the things we talked about, I was doing tweets because of our, my, uh, our great producer, Rob. You know, he, he's got me doing that, and my daughter got me doing his tweeting stuff, right, <laughs> tweeting. And um, one of the things I said was that the surprise... The reason why I thought going into the fight Ruiz could get some rounds was that Joshua was, was not a fast starter. Where Wilder is a guy that, you know, that he's a heat-seeking missile right out of the box. But Joshua is a guy that takes time to, to get comfortable. Yeah. So I figured that Ruiz could get some confidence in those early rounds uh, because of that. And I also thought that from an offensive standpoint, his hand speed could give Joshua something to think about. And, and that's the and way it I stated did. I think I stated it before the fight in the <clears throat> tweet, so I want to be accurate. And also, one of the questions I had was, sometimes I even said this in one of those tweets, that, <laughs> that I can't believe I'm tweeting, <laughs> is that, you know, we, we sometimes, fights can be complex, sometimes they can be, uh, simplistic there's some of it because our man Rob is really the man he knows this this computer stuff wow and he's he, pulling that up and he pulls it up <clears throat> but one of the things I had said was fights can be simplistic they can be complicated and sometimes it can be as simple as how good is somebody's set of whiskers somebody's chin and I what I was implying was if Ruiz chin is good enough this could be interesting because somewhere along the line he's going to get hit so if his whiskers are strong enough, it could be interesting. And there's some of there the stuff, uh, and some of the stuff that you know we're gonna find out. And we found out that he that he withstood that. That first knockdown that um, AJ put on um, Ruiz was legit. I mean, he hit him with a beautiful shot, knocked him right on his butt. And um, to well, Ruiz's I'm credit, tell you about that. Go ahead. That's the best thing that ever happened to Ruiz. And I'm mm. gonna explain myself. He got his attention. Well, well it, it did more than that. He was laying back before that, and when you're the shorter guy um, and you're fighting a guy that has certain shortcomings, uh, which was Joshua, you're not going to get to those shortcomings to expose those shortcomings by laying back. Yep. You, you have to be close. Now, once he got caught, that was the turning point of the fight. That won the fight for him. Because, yes. again, it's coming from, from my perspective. Because once he got caught... Well, it was kind of like somebody having a few shots of alcohol to be who they needed to be. <laughs> yeah, to say what they wanted to say. And he said what he had to say after that because he was no longer held back by that. Mm -hmm. Now it was like, hey, you know, let it, let's go, whatever. And because you're released of that prison that you're in of out overthinking and being frozen by those thoughts. And you're released from that when you get hurt because now you're just reacting. Now now you're on instinct. Now you're just doing. And he started letting his hands go. And he was in close, and he let his hands go, 
And when you ever watch Batman? Oh, my kids are obsessed. So well, yes, remember the old Batman, the original Batman, yep. when you had Robin, yep. and he used to say, and then you had these characters like the Riddler. Mm-hmm. And the Riddler would come out with his thing and say, riddle me this, Batman. <laughs> riddle me this, Robin. When is the taller man, and being the taller man in a fight, like Joshua, six foot six, not the advantage? Well, it's, it's not the advantage when you're in close with a shorter man and you stand straight up. Because then you're like a tall building and there's a lot of windows to break. And Ruiz started breaking windows. And Ruiz, after he had a few of those shots, you know, from that punch, that left hook that dropped him, he started doing what had to be done. And he started letting his hands go. And then you found out the shortcomings of Mr. Joshua. He, the things that he's not taught well, the things where he comes up short from a technical standpoint, where... He got caught standing straight up. And really the ugly punches, and some of those punches are not the textbook punches. They're round. They're bop, bop, bop. They're round punches. We, we teach straight. Yep. You know, we always teach straight is better. But in this case, round was better. Because round, that round punch won him the fight. Yeah, round was better. Because when you got a guy standing straight up and he's putting hand, putting the earmuffs on, right, and he's doing this, he's going into the peekaboo, guess what? Those round punches are the ones... They'd get around, uh, get around the glove and wind up being effective. And when you have a big, tall guy who's pulling back, guess what? Round punches catch you at the end of the punch. Mm-hmm. They, they catch you. So those were some of the, the failings of Joshua that hadn't been shown to the public yet, to the world yet, that he pulls back because a lot of guys were intimidated. They were afraid to let the punch go. But Ruiz let him go at that point from what we just explained. Why? And he stands straight up in front of a guy. And again, he becomes the skyscraper. A lot of windows. And a lot of a lot of target there. And that was really the telling of the fight. And then it got to behavior. It got to, are you ready to overcome that now? Because, you know... To be a champion, to succeed in anything in life, yeah, there's the sunny days, but there's the rainy days too, baby. And you know what? You got to have an umbrella. And and if you don't have an umbrella, you better just freaking be able to walk in the rain. And you better be able to find a way. And he did find a way. See, I'm going to answer the questions to you guys out there because I feel it. I know what you're asking already. I don't have to wait till I hear you're saying to me, but didn't Joshua find a way against Klitschko? Yeah, he did. He did. But it was a different time. It was a different time. It was when he didn't have a hundred something million dollars in the bank. Because Joshua makes a lot of money. Real fast. 35 million a fighter, whatever the heck he's making over there. I don't have all the numbers. But making but believe it, me, making enough to but, be flying believe private. Me, believe me. <clears throat> He's in that, it's probably over 100 million. But whatever it is, just the point. He didn't have that yet. And the geography was a little different. You know, it shouldn't be. You got to behave like a champion no matter where you are. But is everybody made of that stuff? Is everybody capable? You don't know till you know. 
You don't know till the test comes. You don't. And we found out Joshua wasn't. But that night against Klitschko, the geography, he was in London at home. Guess what? Some people are tougher at home. Some people behave differently at home That's right. because there's witnesses. Yep. They don't want to be weak in front of their witnesses. Mm -hmm. They're people. Yeah, it's a mental game. 75% of this. Life is a mental game. So here he is in London. He gets dropped by Klitschko, who's a harder puncher than Ruiz. You know, Ruiz, the, Joshua made Ruiz look like, you know, he was Joe Lewis and, and, and Max Baer and, and uh, you know, uh, George Foreman put together. But he's really not. But, it, but he caught him in the right places. And he was effective that night. But Klitschko, with that right hand, he's a better puncher. And he dropped Joshua. Joshua behaved better that night. That's he right. got up and he came back, and I believe it's because of geography, because he didn't, he didn't, he wouldn't allow himself to be weak in front of those witnesses. And again, he didn't have a hundred million dollars or two hundred million or one hundred fifty million or one hundred and two million. I don't know what the hell it is. I don't know if it's eighty-two million. It's a lot of money. He didn't have that in the in the bank. Yeah. And another thing that was not really being talked about enough. And that's why we're here. He got hit behind the ear. And, that's right. you know, we always teach, hit the guy here, you put the lights out. But let me tell you something. You hit a guy here and you make him drunk. And you make him drunk for the whole night. And he was drunk the whole night. If you, I don't know that he ever recovered from that punch because it throws your equilibrium off. Yeah. And I'm giving no excuses to him because there's still a way to overcome it. Because... That's why it's called fighting. Because you know what the definition of fighting is in my book? Overcoming. I don't know what Webster says, but I know what I say. I know what life says. Overcoming. Not throwing punches, overcoming. And you know what the funny thing about a fight for me? A fight is not a fight until there's something to overcome. It's not. It's That's an right. athletic venture. Yep. It's a display <clears throat> of your athleticism. It's an exercise. But it becomes a fight when there's resistance, when there's something to overcome. And when there was something to overcome, and yeah, he got hit behind the ear. And yeah, that's a rough place. And yeah, it affected him. I have no doubt about it. No doubt. But when it came time to overcome, he was absent. He didn't, he didn't find a way to overcome. He didn't want to find a way to overcome. To your point about um, getting hit behind the ear and being drunk, Watch the fight again and keep that thought in mind. As you watch Joshua after that first knockdown, he literally looks like he's drunk. Even the way he interrupted the interview after the fight, which we'll come back to. This is not it, vodka. <laughs> even the way he interrupted the interview, it appeared to be he was off. Like he, he was slightly drunk. Like I'm going to say his, something else. Go ahead. He was relieved. Oh, for sure. I, I, no, no, I, I'm going to go somewhere. He, he was relieved. And he was me, relieved that, you know, that it was all. He, that referee, he's not my favorite ref. He was the ref. I think he gets for himself a little bit. I, I don't think he's a bad ref. I think he has the ability to be a good ref. But he's not my favorite because the night that we were fortunate enough to win the world title over in Quebec with Alexander Vozik, uh, the light heavyweight champion for the WBC title, and we fought Adonis Stevenson, who I thought was the hardest punch in boxing, aside from Wilder. And, and every time I talk about 
um, donors, I in my mind I say uh, a prayer that, uh, and I hope the people continue to say a prayer that he continues to recover. And um, so, w in that fight, all I know is that the referee, that referee Griffin, uh, all I know, all I know is that in that in that fight, something's buzzing over there. Get it. Put it in your tea. Sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, Great six, though. All I know is that six, though, he's the man. He's <laughs> the man. That's Rosie Perez's cousin. Six <clears throat> is the guy. So all I know is that on that night, first of all, he missed my guy, Vozik, scoring a knockdown in the second round. He, yeah. and he, he just, That's I right. don't know how he yeah. missed it because everyone saw it, and it was seen on videotape. Videotape doesn't lie, you know, unless you... Uh, play with the videotape or something. <laughs> then I guess it could lie. But this videotape didn't lie, right? He he got he got we dropped him. I mean Vosik dropped Alexander dropped uh dropped uh, Adonis in the second round. And then in the last round, the eleventh round where we scored the knockout, uh he wasn't in the best position of referee to stop that fight. You know? And I, I don't uh, listen, I'm not in his mind uh, I would just hope that it wasn't because he was trying to help the local guy, because if he was, then he shouldn't be a ref. That's right. Because, uh, you don't you don't do that. But whatever it was, he didn't make a great impression on me coming out of the box, obviously up close. So, but I don't think he did a bad job at all. But because, but it kind of this fight, Ruiz upset with with Joshua. Kind of reminds you how important that ref is because it's got to be somebody in charge and and that makes decisions, the right decisions on the on the fly. Yeah, it's it's a really important position. It really the judges, of course, we know that too, and sometimes they can be oh my god, they can be so lousy. But you and it really bothers me that they can steal something from a guy who risks so much in the ring. But the referee is so important to got to be in charge and he didn't do a bad job but there was that moment in the seventh round when he stopped the fight after the second knockdown right i'm accurate so far yep. after the second knockdown where he stopped and he asked him he asked the joshua are you ready to continue whatever the words were but along those lines you're ready to go you're okay you want to fight the right questions. And he got the right answer. That's the funny thing. He got the right answer from a verbal standpoint. He said, yeah, yes, whatever he said. But it was affirmative. and But he got the wrong answer from body language. That's right. He saw the body. And he made a call. And he had the guts to make the call. And I give the ref credit for that. Same here. Because, again, that's what this show's about. I'll knock the crap out of you if I think <laughs> that that's what you're supposed to. And you're knocking the crap out of me. I already know that. So, I, but because you got to be accountable. But I say when you're right, and and even if it's not easy to say, I say it because it's important. And here we are. He's asking you. And okay? I don't know why the ref is holding his trunks no. out, almost giving him a deep breath. It like really was strange. Now, interaction. Now go, let's watch this again. Let's go back. Rob again doing a great job with this. But before that, now watch. Ruiz knows what this means. Nobody knows better than That's a fighter. Right. Because 
Watch. Now he goes back to the corner. He Now that's another thing that the, nobody talked about. He spit his mouthpiece out. See, nobody really talked about that. He spit it out. That was a sign right there. Freeze it. That was a sign right there. Capitulation. He spit his mouthpiece out. Now, I know some people are going to say, well, Teddy, in a, one of the greatest fights of all time, Castillo and Corrales, Corrales, when he got dropped, he spit his mouthpiece. He you, lost a point immediately. You're right, he did. But And and he got away with, with really doing something that won that fight for him because it saved him a little time. Yep. It saved him time, Corrales, that night. And then he came back and knocked out Castillo. That's right. But he did his part. He came back. He, he spit his mouth. He got himself time, but... He didn't spit it out, or at least it, in the end, it turned out to be something he did to buy time to try to win. This, he was trying to get out. Yes. This was different. He wasn't spitting his mouthpiece out to buy time to win, to come back. He was doing it as basically the first sign that he was capitulating. It was, it was, you know, it was like a guy getting ready to, uh, to jump the plane, and first he starts throwing everything that's too heavy out of the plane. Yeah. You know, so you start seeing the stuff flying, being thrown out of the plane. Well, you know, there's a problem up there because you're trying to lose something because the plane's going down. So at first he starts throwing. Well, the plane was going down here, so the first thing he threw out of the plane before he was gonna get in the parachute. Was, was the mouthpiece. So he threw that out of the plane. And that was, again, his first sign of submission. You know, that, okay, uh, <laughs> I want to be out of here. And so he does that. And then he does this. He goes in the corner, and the referee is asking him now, are you ready? You can almost see it. Are you ready? And he knows already what it means. See, his hands went up before the referee stops it because he sees what a fighter recognizes. He recognizes this. Submission. He sees it. The referee hasn't stopped it. This guy knows four seconds before that that he's going to capitulate because he knows the body language of a fighter because he's a fighter. Because he knows what the guy's feeling. When because John he goes through it. Because he might feel it sometimes too. He's probably thought about doing that at times, but he hasn't done it. That's the difference. And he saw that, and he recognized that. And when he saw that, that's why his hands went up in the air. But the referee got the right words. That's where he made a call. You got to give him some credit. And I give him credit for that. Yeah. He he made a call. Boy, it's a big call, man. There's a lot on the line there. Huge. Yeah. Huge. And the guy, the guy says, are you ready to go? Yes. And then he goes back, and he does this. And so yes means no. And the referee interpreted it as such, and he took a shot. He said, no, you don't want to fight. And, and, he, and, and he was right. And now people are going to say, Teddy, how dare you? Well, not all of them. Some will be on my side. But some of them are saying, Teddy, how dare you be in his mind? How dare you know that it was, that he was, he saw he, it too. He was glad? We saw glad. the same thing you're yeah, saying. But you know what? He didn't fight with the referee after he stopped it. I mean, if you needed exhibit A and B in a courtroom, I think you got it. Not I to, think you got it. Not right to it, mention, right? do you know that from the minute he hit the deck on the last knockdown, you know how long it took until he swaved it off? 25 seconds. I started a stopwatch. I said, this seems like... You bring a stopwatch to a fight? I know I was watching the replay. Oh. And I was like, because I was like, when the thing was happening, I turned to Rob when, when the ref was asking him, do you want to continue? And, and Rosie was standing there too. And I, I said... 
Ref, how long are you going to give this guy to recover? You gave him a 10 count. Either start the fight or stop the fight. And everyone was kind of like, again, this happened very quickly, but you could tell everyone in the arena was like, what in the hell? Either he's fighting or it's over. You can't give him almost 30 seconds. I thought, I think watch it and stop that. the so stop watching. fight there too. You didn't only save Ruiz. You, <laughs> <laughs> we never knew him. So I'm the hero. That you were behind this whole freaking night. I hope they recognize me at the Hall of Fame next <laughs> week. <laughs> they might put you in it. One more thing about the knockdown, though. At the end of the third round, again with the stopwatch, on the second knockdown at the end of the round. From the minute he hit the deck until the ref said, okay, fight again, 19, 20 seconds, yeah. conservatively. Watch it he again if you're time. at home. He got extra time. He, 100%. Now the round was over. Fine. But you, because okay, he was add scared. 10 seconds. Listen, to we the, don't want to make excuses for anybody. But he was walking that balancing beam, that plank, it feels like you're going out in the ocean, baby. Yeah. Yeah. The referee was like, I think you can't help but be a human. In these circumstances, but you got to be a pro. Yeah. But you can't help but be a human too, where he's feeling that this guy is a twenty to one freaking favorite. He's he's the undefeated heavyweight champ from London, right? It's it's on TV for the world to watch, and you know, the what used to be the biggest title in the world is, and it used to be the biggest thing in the world, boxing. Well, used they to, still get paid like it's it, the biggest it thing in the world. The biggest thing, but. You know, they, they do get paid like that. And and the world does watch when it's a heavyweight title fight, yep. if it's the right one. And I don't know if this was the right one, but everyone looked at Joshua more than Wilder as the heavyweight champ. And there was 18,000 people in the stadium, in uh, Madison Square Garden, which used to be the mecca of boxing. And, and you know, and it's one of the most recognized arenas, sports arenas in the world. So when you put all that into play, the referee knows what's on the line. He knows that this is the champ. This is the favorite. This is the guy, the golden goose. And he was resident, resident, resistant, hesitant about stopping a fight where this was the champion and all what I just said was on the line. He, he, the human part, like, uh, Jesus, uh, you know, at the end he did it. Yeah. I think that helped him do it. I think that helped him do it. Because, because there was rounds in between where maybe a commission guy said, hey, we can't be, you can't be looking like you're take, giving a guy extra time. Maybe someone came over, <laughs> whispered in his ear, or maybe he had time to reflect on it. But I think he started feeling what you just said, and that's a great point by you, that he started feeling that it's, he was naturally, again, the human element was he was he was favoring him a little bit, you know, not in a corrupt way at all, but but just again, almost in a you know just a natural way that uh, do I want to I got to be careful I I want to stop a guy with all this on the line, the guy that's it, it'd be easier to stop it the other way, even oh, though yeah. that's wrong. Oh yeah, it's just as wrong. Oh, they would have stopped it. But could have stopped it the other way. I mean, we're talking the truth here. So you got the guy who's the champion where. DAZN with all their money is behind this guy. They're not behind Ruiz. No. Nope. Everyone knows these things. The referee knows these things. So he's very hesitant about, you know, stopping a fight. If anything, that's going to give him a little extra time. Exactly. And, and he walked that, that tightrope where 
he did wind up giving a little extra time. Not again, nothing in a corrupt world at all. Because no. we'd be saying if we just like that. human nature, he human was like... nature, baby, and he did. But I think that that helped strengthen him and give him the resolve and the mindset later on now go forward to the seventh round yep. where he could make that call That's right. because of what he went through there. And to Brian Kenny's credit, the uh, commentator, he even said at the end of the third round that the ref could have stopped that fight with how much time. Brian Kenny does a good job. He, did it. he was right. I think at the end of the third, it might have been a bit aggressive to stop it, but you could see that the ref is almost like coaxing him, like, dude, what are you doing? Like, now, AJ got up both times at exactly eight count, but he was never ready to go at the end of the 10 count. He was both, all the, at least those two knockdowns at the end of the third, and when they stopped the fight, he was not ready to fight yeah, at a 10 count. Question. Yeah. Really? Well, because we're, we're, I feel like we're in a forensic lab here. Yeah. Because, because that's the kind of fight this was. Yeah. You got to find things, you got to investigate, you got to search. Really, it's not that easy to just say this or that. You got to look. Was he. Was he not ready? You were there too. Yeah. Was he not ready or did he not want to be ready? Big difference. Uh, that's a good question. But Big I can tell you before before any of the British fans start telling us that we don't like AJ, just for the record, I have no preference really for anyone. I, I like boxing in general. We're not trying to favor here. We have no agenda. But I'll tell you, I didn't think AJ either didn't want to be there or was overwhelmed by the moment, but he didn't look like himself. I don't think he was overwhelmed by the moment. He's been there. Now, if anyone was supposed to be overwhelmed, it was supposed to be Ruiz, which he wasn't. I'm just telling you what it looked like no, to no, me. I know, but but I think that he wasn't overwhelmed until it became that moment. He didn't know it was going to be a moment where he was going to be on the floor three times. He didn't know it was going to be that night. When it became that night, that moment, then he was overwhelmed. But maybe it was something else. Again, maybe it was just that he could not dig. I'm using these, these old-fashioned terms, and sometimes I don't like to use them, but he couldn't dig down. He couldn't find what he needed to find, what he, fought against, what he found against Klitschko. He couldn't find that because it wasn't as necessary to find as it was at a different time in his life because he had the protection. I'm going to go to a crazy place. Customato, I thought was the greatest boxer man of all time. He was my protege. Uh, I was his protege. I, he, he was my mentor. And boxing was his whole life. And he grew up in the self. He grew up in the Bronx. Uh, he grew up where a lot of back in the day when there was a lot of gangsters. And he grew up across the street. From one of the one of the biggest gangsters at that time, murders incorporated all that stuff, and he was whenever Everlast he was doing business with Everlast Boxing Company since they started. So whenever we needed equipment, me and Cus were getting a car. We drive down in those days. It was on Bruckner Boulevard in the Bronx, where Cus had grown up in that area. Uh, that's where the warehouse was. That's where Everlast, it's not there anymore. But so we would go down, we would go down there and we would get equipment. And because the first thing we would do, we remind them, uh, you know, I did business with your grandfather. I know because I started with your grandfather. He gives me 50% off. Because we got you. <laughs> for life, for life. 
So that's what, you know, it's important. I mean, it was, you know, and it costs. You get, of course, costs. And you, you know, you were with us from the beginning. And then he would go through a little reminiscent, you know, started <laughs> in a basement. Started in a basement with your grip. Yep. And, you know, and we go and we go to the warehouse directly and we talk to the guy, Doc, you know, where John Toms was running Everlast at that time. He was one of the guys in the front office. Then we would go right to the warehouse and we would get the stuff. And, and then when we got done, we packed up the car. He would always drive me by his neighborhood, show me his house where he grew up and where the, the gangster was across the street. And here's the, here's the point. Cuz grew up around that stuff. And he would make the comparisons. It's a tough one, but it's fitting because we're in a tough business. And he would make the comparison about seeing all these gangsters. And when they were first starting out, you know, there were all the things you're not supposed to be in life. And and I, I we know all that. But when they were, f but we're talking about what they were, and when they were real gangsters. And again, we're not condoning that. We're not romanticizing that. We're not doing any of that. We're making a point here. When they were gangsters at their best, if there's such a thing, right? They didn't care about death. They didn't care about jail. They didn't care about any of the things that that normal people would care about within the normal realm of things. They didn't care about those things. They only cared about getting what to where they wanted to get to as gangsters. And then Cus said, when they got there, kind of like this, the Silk Sheet thing, when they got there and they started making money, then they started enjoying something called life. <laughs> and they started caring about living. And Cus said, that was the death sentence the beginning of the end for a gangster when they started caring about living. Because to truly be a gangster, you couldn't care about living. I know that's deep and that's a little dark and all that stuff, but think about it. Once they started the things that everyone wants in life, the, the reason you're a gangster, if you're a gangster, you want to get those cars and the, the women and, and the jewelry and, and, and going out to all the places and everything else, and you get that, but once you start getting it, you start deteriorating in some areas because you're not no longer what you need to be to continue to get that, to continue to behave like a gangster, to not care about certain things that can get in your way if you care about them. Yep. They can weaken you if you care about them. And as a fighter, I thought about that. It was, I was like, I don't want to think about gangsters. But during the fight, I was thinking when I looked at Joshua there, and I saw him in the corner. He no longer cared about what a fighter must always care about, which is finding a way no matter what. Whether you bleed, whether you're dizzy, whether you, 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 the only thing that matters is finding a way. Those things didn't matter as much anymore because he had gotten past those things. He had gotten the things that, that we all crave. He had gotten comfortable. It's kind of like Mickey in the, in, the, in the Rocky movie. You know, you make these crazy lines and all that stuff, but they're true to life sometimes. Yeah. You got civilized, kid. <laughs> but think about that. You got civilized. That's your problem. 
That's that's why Club Lang knocked you out. Well, it's a it's a less civilized way of saying that you got comfortable. That that it didn't matter as much. Yeah. That you you got successful. Now listen, there's people out there, and those are the special ones. Michael Jordan, all those guys. I'm going. I don't care if it's not boxing. You know, although Joe Lewis, you know, or Muhammad Ali, they, no matter what they made, they never stopped behaving the way that you needed to behave. They never disconnected from that. That's why they're special. Yeah. That's why they're great. That's why I think we call people great too fast nowadays in certain areas because they don't go down the road far enough to really, truly know if they deserve those kind of words, those kind of titles. But when I'm looking at Joshua in the corner that night, I was thinking just for what Cus said. said he, he cares now about things that are getting in his way of behaving like a fighter. He cares about not being hurt anymore. He doesn't have, he feels with all his money, whatever it is. And again, I'm not, I'm just saying from experience, I'm, I know I'm not in his heart. I'm not in his soul. I'm not in his mind, but I know these places, mm -hmm. they exist. They're real. And you could see it that for that moment where after he got dropped, where you, that's the moment where you're supposed to say, get myself together. Get ready for the stand. Get get ready to keep my title. Get ready to keep that guy from taking what he wants to take. But he wasn't that guy anymore because there was nothing to lose because he had gained the protection from that moment. The protection because... Maybe the money, the protection because, uh, you know, he had gotten the adulation and uh, and he was comfortable and recognized and and just blessed in his own way where he felt, and you feel that in life sometimes. Yeah. Where, where you, you come to these moments where you say to yourself, you know what, that doesn't matter no more. But as a fighter... It has to always matter. But you do. You come. You guys out there, you know what happens. You, you come to a moment where as long as I got my family, as long as I have, you know, as long as I have my health, as long as I, I have the things, the rest of it don't matter. Go take it from me. I don't care. It don't matter. And, and that's beautiful to get to that place. But as a fighter, as a gangster, <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't get to that place. You're out of business, baby. As you just said that, right? it you're out of business, baby. If you get to that place, as you just said that, it reminds me of um, Alex Vosdick when I asked him what was going through your mind when Adonis Stevenson hit you in. I think the tenth round. I said, "What went through your mind?" Because I was thinking, "Oh, that's it. He's done." And he said, "I was thinking, oh my God, all my dreams, everything I've been working for is flashed before my eyes." I'm going to dig deep, and that's exactly what he did. He I, said, can't, I can't give in. And he I said, can't lose this. And not only did he get through that, but he said as soon as he fought back with more aggression and, 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 and 
to genuinely dug deep, he saw the expression on Adonis Stevenson's face change to like, oh shit, I just hit him with everything I have, and now he's stronger. And he won the so world title. Fighters see those things. Yep. Fighters are there, so they know where they are. They know what they're saying more than you know, more yep. than the people out there. They know <clears throat> they, they're in it. Mm -hmm. Like Ruiz saw. Yeah. Four seconds before the referee That's right. stopped it. Ruiz knew what that meant. He knew what this meant. Yep. It meant, I don't care no more. I don't want to be here no more. No, you're right. It's not important anymore. I don't have to bleed. <clears throat> I don't have to hurt. I don't have to be dizzy no more. And you're right to the point where he's dizzy if you watch two in between a couple of rounds. Anthony Joshua asked his trainer, what did he hit me with? And then his trainer said something about at the start of this round. And Joshua asked him, okay, what's he going to do at the start of this round? Like, it just seemed like an odd question. Like I said before, like he's drunk. What do you mean? What is he going to do? Oh, he's, he's looking for help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he looked com genuinely confused. And I'm not being overly critical. I'm telling you. He was just beat up physically. He yeah. was beat up mentally emotionally yes spiritually yes. inside and and he i'm gonna make another point here if he went down that road of being satisfied and maybe cheated a little bit a lot of people are gonna say hey teddy one thing you can't say is you can't and i'm making no excuses i'm saying the reason was in here i'm not just saying hot just to say hot i'm not using that word hot everyone's got hot you can, you can walk up those steps. You got plenty of heart. You can get in the ring with them. You got plenty of heart, more than most people. So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about control. I'm talking about discipline. I'm talking about going way beyond just that. Going about choices. When it's very, 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 when there's other choices. See, sometimes in life, there, there's no choices. Then it's easier to make the hard choice. But when there's another easier choice now, like there is for him now, that's the test. And then people will say, but Teddy, we saw him tested. And not in that way. Not at that time. There's always a test. There's always another test. But the point I'm getting to is a lot of people will say, Teddy, one thing you can't say is that, and again, no excuse, but you can't say that Joshua wasn't in shape. Look at him. He was in shape. Wrong. It's called genetics, baby. Joshua's all, I'm not saying he was or wasn't in shape. A lot of people said he was winded and he was. I didn't think, I thought both guys' cardio didn't look very okay. good. Okay. I thought. Well, uh, we, uh, it doesn't make you an amazing crescent. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> hey, one quick thing, one quick thing about the cardio. I thought about you because, you know, as a fighter, when you're engaged, sometimes you almost have like this silent agreement, like, hey, I'm going to take it easy on you for a minute. And you could see the other guy. Okay, let's, let's both recover a little. In the fourth round, Ruiz <clears throat> is stalking Joshua. He's st and he's stepping towards him, stepping towards him. And Ruiz at one point puts both his hands down almost to take a deep breath. And AJ locks eyes with him and almost like accentuates with his hands, like... <gasps> big deep breath and they kind of like wink and smile at each other and then they get back to the action but there was like that momentary thing you of like you would understand that being a marathon runner yeah. I'm being serious I'm sure you come to places where you're running next to a guy and you're kind of getting into a little battle your own little battle that's your own right. little fight there's many fights out there guys you know that's why we call this the fight everybody's fighting a fight doesn't have to be with fist alright all fighting a fight and it all takes the same thing it takes will. It takes choices. And making those choices.
and understand that you can make those choices. Understand that they're not taken away from you. They're your choices. See, that's the danger. That's the danger. Some people think it's been taken away from me. George Foreman found that again when he came back and became the second coming of George Foreman after he got broken down by Ali. He found out that he thought that night in Zaire that it was Ali's choice to make him that way and make those decisions. No, it was your choice. Yep. But he thought, no, it was Ali's choice. Ali pulled that out of me. Ali made the choice for it. No, you made the choice. You made the choice. And that's the thing. If I could deliver one thing uh, with this with this podcast and with this particular episode as we try to do is that it's always your choice no matter how difficult things get really and no matter how dark and that's one of the things that pressure and that difficult things do to you it, it gets dark you know and what comes with it is lies it lies to you that's that's one of the things that pressure does it it'll It'll lie to you, make you think that, hey, you have no choice. You have no say here. You always have a say. Always a choice. Until you decide not to have a choice. Until you decide not to have a say. And that's something that Joshua, if he's going to come forward from this, is going to have to learn. And he's going to need help. Maybe even this helps him. <laughs> really? Yeah. But, but he's going to need help to understand that. But to, to finish my point, where the people that are going to say it was a physical thing, maybe he wasn't in the best of shape. And again, a lot of people would say, Teddy, how can you say that? I mean, you look like Adonis. I mean, look at that specimen. You, you couldn't get a better physical specimen. But genetics really have a way of doing what they do, and it can be an optical illusion. Because just because he looks the way he does, hey, he got these this great gene pool of genetics that very few people get. Ruiz did not get that. Now, Ruiz can be in shape, and he was in shape, looking the way he did. You can be not in top shape looking the way that Joshua looked. Just because he looks the way he looks doesn't mean that he was in prime shape or prime condition. And I'm not saying that's the reason why he lost the fight. I already explained that. But I will say that there's a good chance that he wasn't, that he did cheat a little bit, that sleeping in silk sheets did have an effect on him, maybe in those areas, that he did take certain things for granted. He acted like a guy that took things for granted. And I asked you another question that nobody talked about on the broadcast, and I was surprised. How? How can you go into a fight with a guy like Ruiz, and we'll give him all the credit in the world, but we're not going to ignore what, he, what, what his physical makeup is. How do you go into a fight like that and not having as part of your plan to attack the body? How? That was No, no, that was telling. See, that goes deeper than you think because that tells Ruiz, they didn't even respect me enough to go to my body. They didn't even prepare, really. You guys pick up on these things and feel these things because you're looking for everything you can get. And say, hey, they didn't even, they didn't even think they had to go to my body to beat me. They, they, they didn't even prepare. They didn't even like they, these guys completely overlooked me. These guys I, don't know me. And, I almost you think to, you start to gain something from that. And there's no excuse for that not being in a fight plan, not to go to that. And how? You talk about upsets. Yeah, that was a big upset. But I'll tell you what, what a big upset was. That 
at the end of the day, Ruiz would be going to the body of him more than he'd be going to the body of Ruiz. That's an upset. Yep. That's absurd. That's, in the, I, in the I, fifth I, or sixth round, I think it was a six, Ruiz hit him with a straight right, right in the ribs, and it like that to me is was the beginning of the end. But how I, I agree. But how do you go? I'm gonna say it again. How do you go in a fight with a guy with a 70-inch waistline? I'm, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm not, listen, you're a champ of the world. We, we love we, you, we, Andy. We, we can kid around because you did it. You did it. And I give you all the credit in the world. You did it because you wanted it more than him. You've been through more than him, maybe. And you understood what you had to understand when the moment came. And you made the right choice. I give you all the credit in the world. But... You know, you, you did put back physical training 100 years. You, you did. You put Jack LaLanne, the health spas, out of business. You know, Jenny Craig is going out of business because of you. You understand that? You understand that the, that the, the, the meal of champions now is four Big Macs and Diet Coke? You understand that? Huh? No, listen. He's, he's got the world now. He's world champion. And, and God bless him. He deserves it. But... To not, again, for Joshua's people. See, they're the ones that were knocking. We're, we're kidding around with it. But for his people to go into a fight with a guy with a midsection like that, really, that you're supposed to be able to at least go there and exploit that. And to not have any preparedness to do that at all. I mean, that would be like going on a safari to the Amazon and you're not bringing machetes and and mosquito repellent. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna need a machete for the tall grass. What what are you gonna get there? You're gonna say there's tall grass and there's mosquitoes. You didn't know that you were going to the Amazon. You didn't know that. You didn't check that. How, how come we didn't bring mosquito repellent? You 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 didn't know that. I almost wonder, though, if once Joshua felt Ruiz's hand speed and power, if he was like, oh, screw this, I'm not going to go downstairs if I get caught with one more of these shots. Because, I mean, it wasn't very long into no, the no, fight. No. He didn't go to the body, though, before that. Right, right, before right. Before that. Before yeah. that. He, he didn't get touched by anything into the third round. But what? Well, back to what uh, J-Rock Williams said when he, when he brought up Hurd being a slow starter. And J-Rock said, there's no such thing. That's a flaw. And AJ... Maybe it maybe it was, maybe it wasn't a flaw, but they definitely started out very tentative, both of them. And again, it's a huge moment. But that, we knew that. We said it on this yeah, broadcast yeah. that one of the things that boded well for Ruiz was that he could get some rounds because Joshua, unlike Wilder, was a guy that took time to get into gear. Yeah. He didn't go from zero to 60. He, he switched gears mm -hmm. to get to that. Mm -hmm. he, it took him, he had to get comfortable in a fight. And it gave Ruiz a chance to get some rounds under his belt and to to kind of get a feel for things and gain some needed confidence when you're the big underdog. What do you think Joshua needs to do in the next fight to grow from this in terms of mental um, game plan, tactics, training? What, what Was there any glaring areas? Same thing that areas? Coach had to do. I'm going to get right to it. Same thing George Foreman had to do. I talked about before. George Foreman submitted against Ali. You can mm -hmm. say whatever you want. He got broken down. He got, yeah, he gave in. 
at the end in the eighth round when he pirouetted around and George Foreman, I love George Foreman. Who who is a better who is a better ambassador um for so many things, you know, for being able to do things at a point in life when most people can't do them. Who's a better ambassador for that? For, you know, never saying you're out of it. No matter what your age, no matter how long you were away, it was away 10 years. You know, no matter what goes on in your life, uh, who who is a better... I mean, George, I have nothing but respect for that man. And because of what I'm talking about, because of what he came from, because of what he overcame, but I, under, I couldn't have that respect if I didn't understand and acknowledge, at least for myself, what he overcame. I mean, this is a man who reinvented himself. This is a man who had two lives, the first George Foreman and the second George Foreman. And again, this is a guy that could give seminars. You know, he doesn't have to do it because he made $200 million with a freaking grill. <laughs> right? I mean, $200 million with a grill. But, I mean, this man is brilliant. He, he's, he's brilliant. He's a good man. And... Uh, he he wrote the book on coming back, <laughs> on uh, talking about overcoming. So this is a guy, though, you have to appreciate it to the level I do. I have to understand exactly what he came back from, what went on in Zaire. He got broken down by Ali. Ali, as I said earlier, made him believe that it wasn't his choice what was happening to him. It was Ali's choice, that he had no control. The truths and the lies. The truth is it's always your control. The lie is it's out of your control. The lie is that it's someone else's control. The lie is that it's circumstances. That, that it's something that you have no say. That's a lie. That's what pressure does. It lies to you. Then it takes you outside and freaking kills you. <laughs> and he, he understood that he learned that that night, and he came back, and he showed it every time he got in the ring. And he became the second George. That second George, would even older, even bigger, even with all the cheeseburgers in his diet, that second George would have beat the crap out of the first George mm -hmm. because he understood the difference between the truth and the lie. He would have knocked out the first George, even though the first George was better physically, athletically, everything. The second George was so damn tough because of that. One of the toughest guys you ever meet. Champion at 46 years old against my guy. Mm. 45, 46, whatever it was. I want to forget it. <laughs> but that's what, that's the answer to your question. That's what, forget about all the other, yeah, you got to learn, you got to, maybe you need some help with the training, with the technique, or with some certain thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. People going to talk about cardio. That's not it. That's not it. It's this. It's in here. Yeah. It's understanding what George learned. It's understanding that, the difference between the truth and lie in life. What the truth is, what the lie is, what the cutoff point is. What it, that, that it's your choice. And it was your choice to submit that. It was your choice to go on against Klitschko. It was your choice to give in against Ruiz. It was your choice. You allowed it to be your choice. And to somebody speaks that hard truth to him, Nothing will change. And that's the problem when you have people paid to be around you to sometimes tell you things that are other than the truth. That's the problem. But you know what? That stuff disappears quick when, when, when you go down the crooked road. That stuff gets, gets lost real quick. It got lost with George. 
It got lost when it got quiet at night and there was no one around to tell George, you're the best. And yeah, George, it wasn't your fault. It was this, it was that. It was, and it was quiet. And it was only you to hear you at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, 12 at night. Then you get the answer. Then then it gets lonely. Then you understand. And that's, that's what it's going to take. Listen, the Klitschko's quit. The Klitschko's 10 years dominance. The the younger Klitschko, Vladimir, right? That was, I always get him confused. Vlad, Vitaly. Yeah. Uh, Vladimir. He, he quit against Ross Purity. Um, he, who was the other guy? Against Brewer. He, you say anything you want, but he gave up. He submitted. He gave yeah. in. One of the fights, he made an excuse that, that uh, you know, he ran out of gas because his paws were clogged because Vaseline was put on his legs. All right, please, come on. All right, come on. I mean, we haven't overcome better than Vaseline in our lives. You beat Vaseline. My God. <laughs> you beat Vaseline. So, uh, you know, so, but he submitted. and But then he got to a place and then he showed it with Samuel Peter. He was on the floor about seven times, five times, four, whatever it was. And he won that fight, kept getting off the floor because he because he got to that place. He got to that place, that professional place, that maturity place, whatever the freak you want to call it. But he got to that place where he realized that it was harder to quit than it was to fight. Because when you quit, you got to live with the circumstances and the reality and the truth of that for the rest of your life. That's a perfect point. Yeah, to have to live point. with that the rest of your life when you quit. It's harder to quit. When you fight, it's over within a moment. It's all it's done. That's right. You face it and it's done. And you and you're where you need to be and where you want to be where. But you quit. It's harder to quit than it is to fight the hardest fight in the world. That's it's right. harder to quit. Because you gotta live with those conditions that come with that, with the repercussions of that, with the reality of that. With the truth of that for the rest of your freaking life. That's called eternity. Eternity is a long time. <laughs> right? You fight for a few minutes. How long you got to fight? That's if I'm his trainer, that's what I'm telling you. Joshua, how much longer did you have to fight? You had six more rounds. Six times three, 18. 18 minutes. You couldn't be strong for 18 minutes. You couldn't. At that moment, you thought you couldn't be, but you could be. But you could be. That's what he's got to learn. That's what Klitschko learned. That's what George learned. They will, will they admit it that readily? I don't care. I know what I know. One of the themes on this show that we've spoken about before with Andrew Cancio and J-Rock Williams, who suffered losses and came back and then won world titles, is the fact that they almost needed to lose to get better. And I'm wondering if you think that's the case here with Joshua. Do you think he rebounds and comes back stronger and grows I don't know from what's this? Inside him. I just answered the we're question. Gonna, we're going to find out, we're I guess. We're going to find out how important it is to him. That is his bank account more important than his pride, his legacy, his being able to have a comfortable night's sleep when there's nobody around him to tell him how great he is, when there's nobody around him to deflect the truths that can come at you when you've gone down this kind of crooked road, where all of a sudden the people can say things to you that were not quite as nice as what they used to say. You so-and-so, you... Like, Roberto Duran went down that road. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, in the yeah. Nomad's fight. 
And he's one of the greatest <clears throat> fighters of all time, one of the toughest fighters of all time. But he went down that road. He gave in. And he did something that fighters are not allowed to do. You're not allowed to quit. You know, they say in baseball, that commercial, you, no crying in baseball. There's no quitting in boxing. There's no quitting in life. I'll bet if you and ask Roberto Duran right now, would you rather have been knocked yeah, out or said no mas, he would take he the knockout. But do you understand, when he went back to Panama, to his country where he was beloved, where people that had some of the harshest lives, their life became better when he got in the ring. Because they attached themselves to the hope of Duran. Where I feel better about myself. Because that's my guy. That's my countryman. That's Roberto Duran in that ring representing us. That's He's representing me. You know what? I feel better now. I feel better. I'm in this place that's not a really good place. You know? And I have a lot of these hardships and stuff. But today, I got Roberto Duran today. I got him singing for me, fighting for me, talking. He, that's, that's part of me there. If he could do it, maybe things would change for me. He, he's from my country. And when Duran gave up and said those infamous words, no mas, he had no idea what that carried with it until he found out that he shouldn't go back at first because he might get stoned to death. Yeah. Do you, you understand yeah, yeah. what we're talking about here? You better not come home because you might get killed. Yeah, it's no, and, no and, joke. And, and, so so I'm not saying it's to that level with, with, with Joshua at all, but <laughs> there are levels. Yeah. There are uncomfortable levels where he will not hear some of the things or he will hear some of the things that he never heard before. Oh, yeah. And that matters. Oh, yeah. How much does it matter? And does he come to terms with what I just said and understand the reality of what he did? That I said six, but it was the seventh. So seven, so seven rounds, so eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. So he had 15 more minutes that's what he has to come to terms with, that the reality of what he did was he spit the bid when he had to be strong for 15 more minutes. Now he's got to live forever with what comes with that. Look at the two things. Could you have been strong for 15 minutes? The answer, I'm going to go out on a line. I'm going to go out on a limb. I know I wasn't the one in there. Yes. Yes. You know what I told Alex before the fight? And he doesn't have to be told nothing because he's that, he's, he's, he's a special guy. Yeah. And there's special people out there, you know? Oh, he's the, you know, I, I love him. He's a good out, dude. But, but he is one of them. He's a very good he, guy. He's one of them. I know he's mine, but I'm just saying, whether he was or not, from what I know, mm -hmm. he's one of them. And you know what I said to him before the fight? There's a few things, of course, but one of them I said at some point was Alex. On this night that we're fighting for the light heavyweight championship of the world and getting close to it, I said, there's things in life that you can't control. And you've already been through some of them, some tough things. And you had no control, really. I mean, there's certain things, kind of like what happened to that great man, Herring, 
a Marine who I have nothing but respect for, he had no control over his daughter dying. He didn't control that. Mm -hmm. There's certain things in life that we can't control. This is not one of them. That's what I tell Joshua. This is not one of them. There are things in life you can't control. And then there's things you can. You can control how you behave no matter how hard it gets and the choices you make. Well, the nice and thing. That's the thing that's going to tell whether or not Joshua comes back. The nice thing he has going for him <clears throat> is that he had that rematch clause. So he's going to get a chance to right this wrong. It, nothing, no one can change what's happened. And it's going to be a huge fight over there. And it's going to be because, huge. Because, you know, and listen, I do it with a wink, right? I love you guys. I do it with a wink, but my brothers, my sisters over there and across the pond, you only have thoughts, <laughs> right? You only got thoughts. Now you got a Joshua, <laughs> now you got a Joshua Ruiz mega rematch, okay? I love you, I'm only kidding. You got snooker, you got soccer, we know soccer, unreal. Biggest sport in the world, biggest sport in the world, but um, but you don't have some of those other things that are over here that get in the way. You know, the stuff coverings and all, you know, all the Tiger Woods and the LeBron James, you know, all that stuff. We we don't, you don't have some of that stuff. So, listen, I love you. I'm kidding with you. Um, there's something that's going to sell that fight. You know what it is? Everyone loves it. You love it across the pond. We love it over here. As human beings, we love this. Redemption. That's what's going to sell. And that's what I would probably just help the promoter. And I don't want to help her. And you better come on this freaking show <laughs> to pay back for some of this. Okay? All right? But, um, no, that's what I would put on the posters. Redemption. It's powerful. Right? Everyone loves a chance at redemption. Everyone that has a heart in their chest. That has a care in their, in their body. And this is... This fight's about redemption. We all want to have a shot of redemption, all of us. And, um, you know, and we, we like when people get it. It makes us feel good because we never know when we're going to need it. Yeah. Well, you know what? That sounds like a good place to wrap this up. There's a whole bunch of other stuff to discuss regarding the state of the heavyweight division, but we're going to pick that up on our uh, upcoming preview show later in the week. So tune in. Um, Please uh, tune in, subscribe, leave a comment. Thanks to everyone for all the support. And uh, we'll hopefully we'll be back with you before the end of this week with a preview show of the upcoming fights, uh, Triple G and Rolls, and some other fights that we want to discuss. So thank you for joining, and uh, we'll be back. And Ken will have his voice when we come back. Yes. I'm going to get a cortisone shot in my throat right now. Tessa Torsten.